Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this morning is our first lesson recorded for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 1 through 6. To bring us back into that reading, I'd like to read just the final two verses for you once again. The one who is seated on the throne said to me, Look, I am making everything new. He also said, Write, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, we like new, don't we? Think about a a new car. People like the new car feeling and the new car smell. In fact, it's so popular that you can even buy an air freshener that's a new car smell, right? We like new. We like new tech to open up a new phone or a new computer. I remember years ago hearing that Apple pours so much money and research into that experiencing, experience of opening their tech for the first time because they know it makes for good sales because people like that experience of opening the package. Maybe, especially for our women here, maybe putting on those new pair of shoes or a new dress or a new necklace or you think about a child opening a present and experiencing a new toy for the first time or going to an amusement park for the very first time. We like new, we like new things, we like new experiences. But we also know as much as we like new, we know how quickly new can become old, right? Old and boring. That, that new car, new phone, a year afterwards doesn't really seem so new and exciting, does it? In God's word for us today, we consider this truth that Christ makes all things new, especially as we consider this picture of heaven. And that should excite us because we like new things, this new experience of heaven and what it will be like. There's also maybe part of us in the back of our mind that might wonder, heaven's forever, right? So where, when is that newness going to wear out and feel old? Well, don't worry. It is Christ who makes all things new, and today we consider that's a completely different experience, different from what we have here in this earth, and it's going to be forever changed. We also consider the one who gives us that experience, Christ. So we take up the theme, Christ makes all things new. At the beginning of our lesson today, John describes what he sees in the vision, a new heaven and a new earth. Have you ever thought of heaven like that? So we have to talk about heaven, but he also says not just a new heaven, but a new earth. Doesn't he seem to almost be referring to a physical reality like the one that we experience here on this earth? But how could that be? When we think of heaven, don't we often think about it as a spiritual existence, maybe a dreamlike existence, somewhere between sleeping and awake, but not quite real. Yet what does God tell us in his word? He says it's a new heaven and a new earth. Think about what Jesus said in John chapter 14 when he described heaven. He said this, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to be with me, so that you may also be where I am. Doesn't Jesus seem to also there be describing a physical reality? His father's house with many mansions, he describes it as a place that he's going to and a place that he's going to come back from and bring us to. Or maybe we can think about Jesus' words on Monday, Thursday evening as he celebrates the Lord's Supper with his disciples for the very first time. But then he remarks, I tell you that I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He seems to be talking about celebrating the Lord's Supper, even drinking wine in his Father's kingdom in heaven. And there are other many places in the Bible that describes heaven as a wedding banquet filled with the finest of foods and drinks, seemingly pointing to a physical experience. And then there's, of course, this, that we think about what the Bible says concerning the resurrection of the dead, something that we ourselves hold to as well. We believe in the resurrection of the dead, not just for Christ, but even for ourselves. And what does that mean? That means that our our bodies are going to come back to life again from the grave on the final day to enter heaven, both body and soul. A number of years ago when I was serving down at my previous parish in Florida, I remember At the conclusion of a funeral service one day, a number of family and friends were invited to come up and say a few things uh, concerning their loved one who had passed away. I remember one of the women that got up that day, she wasn't a member of our church, she wanted to say a few things, but she also wanted to play a song, a song that brought her great comfort over the death of her loved one. And that song was, I Will Rise. And you're probably familiar with the song. It's been sung in this sanctuary a number of times. Uh, A wonderful song concerning the resurrection of the dead. After she got done playing that song on her phone into the microphone for everyone to hear, she said, that song brings me such comfort because I know that now Esther's soul has risen. And I thought, no, (laughs) that's not what the song is about. The song is not about her soul going to be with the Lord, which is certainly true at that current time, but the song was about the resurrection of the dead. The fact that the body that we place in the grave that day would one day come back to life from the dead. A physical reality, be, being reunited with the soul to be with God forever in heaven. That's the way heaven is described here, isn't it? Not a dreamlike state, but a physical reality where we will be with the Lord. What is it going to be like there? It's going to be new. New. New in this way that it's going to be so radically different from what we know and experience here in this world. You know, we ourselves maybe can imagine certain things that we know can't possibly be true, and yet we like to think about them. I think of in the movies or in books, we imagine things like time travel and uh, teleportation, those sort of things. We can imagine them, but they're strictly fantasy, right? They're not real. A number of months ago, I was reading through an article online that was, it was uh, recounting uh, people talking about things that they always thought were fantasy, but then later discovered were actually true and real. And one of the things that stuck in my mind was this woman was uh, recounting how for her entire life she believed that narwhals were mythological creatures. After all, these whales with this unicorn horn, I mean, we don't believe unicorns are real, right? And she was shocked to find out that narwhals are, are real creatures on this earth. They, they seem so 
mythological, right? We think about what God describes concerning heaven for us today. It's so foreign that it's so hard for us to even imagine that it could be possible, that it that could be real, but he tells us that it is. And he describes it in this way. He describes it as an existence without death, without sorrow, without suffering, without pain. Can you even imagine a world like that? It's hard to, isn't it? It's hard to imagine a world without those things because those things are so intimately connected with our experience here in this life, aren't they? That every day we faced sorrow and suffering and pain and loss, don't we? Can you imagine, though, a world without those things? It seems pure fantasy, doesn't it? And yet Christ says that he makes all things new, even that, and that in heaven we will have a physical experience, right? It will be a physical reality without those things. We want to experience it, don't we? But how will we? How can we? In John's vision, he describes what he sees, not only the new heaven and the new earth, but he also describes the holy city coming down from heaven. That holy city, that new Jerusalem, and it's clear what he's describing there isn't merely the buildings of Jerusalem, but he's describing its residents, the people of God. And he also describes this new city as the bride, the bride of Christ adorned for her husband. And he goes on and says this, Look, God's dwelling is with his people. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will be their God. So he talks about something so different than we experience here in this life, isn't it? To be with God in his presence forever. You know, we think about up on Mount Sinai when God made his presence known to Moses. He said this, I will make my goodness pass in front of you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord in your presence. He said, you cannot see my face for no human may see me and live. We think of that, that separation there on Mount Sinai even between God's uh, select individual, his mediator, between him and his people, Moses. He could not see God's face and live. We think about the separation described concerning the Ark of the Covenant. How God intended for that ark to, to reside within the Holy of Holies, that special room in the temple. And there was a curtain, wasn't there, between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. The Holy Place was that area that regular priests could come in every day and, and give their, their offerings and incense to the Lord. And yet the Holy of Holies was a special room where the Ark of the Covenant was, where God made his presence known among his people but it was only on one day of the year and only one person that could enter that room one day a year, the high priest. And only after appropriate sacrifices made for himself could he come before God in his presence. But also we think about this. Even as Isaiah saw a vision of heaven and the Lord in his glory, he remarked, I am doomed, I am ruined because I am a man with unclean lips and I dwell among a people with unclean lips and because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. Yes, there is a separation between man and God, a separation on account of our sin. 
We consider just a, a little bit of that today as we think about something I mentioned early on in, that, in this sermon. To think about how we are so obsessed with the new that we become discontent with what God has given us, don't we? We think about the tremendous blessings that God has poured out upon us. He has given us new cars, homes, jobs, husband, wife, child. Yet we so easily become discontent with those things and angry at God, saying, God, I deserve more. I deserve better. I deserve new. We become greedy and envious of what others have instead of being content with the incredible gifts that God has given us. And this is just a, a small glimpse of our sinfulness and how we have offended God, the great giver of all things, because of that attitude and because of that sin. And we certainly don't deserve to be in God's presence. But how can this be? Christ says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He says those words, it is done. It's good for us to understand that he is the one who makes this possible, not us. If it is up to us, we could never reach God. We can never be in his presence because we are so filled with sin that we don't deserve to be. But he does everything, doesn't he, to bring us into his presence even though we don't deserve it. God did everything, didn't he, by sending his son, sent from heaven above to earth below. He sent his son to live a holy and perfect life here on this earth for us, that he sent his son to suffer and die on the cross. And what did that son say? after he had suffered even separation from God, even hell as we deserved, he said, it is done. It is finished. And he did everything necessary to forgive our sins and make us right with him. But how can we know that this forgiveness is ours? How can we know that we are right with God? He goes on, to anyone who is thirsty, I will give freely from the spring of the water of life. Again, he says he is the one who gives freely the spring of the water of life. This too seems almost mythological, doesn't it? The fountain of youth, so to speak, yet he is the one who gives freely from that water of life. We think about him as the one who gives us faith to believe in him to know that he is our Savior and to have eternal life. And certainly, we can't overlook that connection as well to baptism. And it's a beautiful picture, especially as we think about what it says in our lesson for today about the, the bride who's adorned for her husband. Doesn't that connect us back to the words of Ephesians 5? Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water in connection with the word. He did this so that he could present her to himself as a glorious church, having no stain or wrinkle or any such thing, so that she would be holy and blameless. We think about what God did for each and every one of us in our baptisms. God washed away our sin. All the sins that we have committed, all of our impurity, all of our unfaithfulness to God, not deserving to be his bride, yet he 
cleansed us and made us holy through the washing of water and the Word. He made us acceptable to Himself by forgiving our sins and giving us that new life of faith. You see, He has made all things new, even us. As He has made us a new creation in Christ. Because of this washing, because of this forgiveness of sins, and because of the promises of God connected to it, we can be confident that we too shall dwell in the new heaven and the new earth. We can be confident that it is a physical reality. We can be confident of what the psalmist himself wrote. Even my flesh will dwell securely because you will not abandon my life to the grave. You will not let your favor ones see decay. You have made known to me the path of life, fullness of joy in your presence, pleasures at your right hand forever. As I mentioned before, we can be so worried that maybe the new of heaven is going to wear out. Well, it won't. Because God is making all things new, a completely new existence from what we experience here on this earth. And how does he describe it? Eternal pleasures at his right hand forever. Eternal pleasures. A newness that will never wear out because we will be in God's perfect presence. We will dwell with him in his heavenly mansions for all eternity. Now today we gather together to celebrate all saints. And it's on this occasion that we especially remember those that have died in the faith. Those have gone, who have gone before us to be with God and experience heaven. As they await the day when their bodies shall be raised from the grave and reunited once again with their souls as they shall be with the Lord in glory forever. Let us not overlook this fact. It isn't just them that we remember on this day, but it's us too. And it's us, our status before God. It's just those that have died that are saints. It's us as well who are saints even now. And even though we continue to live in this earth filled with so much sin, and experience this separation from God because of our sin. Yet let us know this, that we are saints in his sight because of Christ, because of him who has made all things new, him who has even made us new. Let us be confident that because of him, God views us as holy and righteous and perfect in his sight through faith in Christ. Let us also be sure that we are going to that wonderful place that he has prepared for us in heaven that perfect newness shall be new and wonderful for all eternity, where we shall be with our loved ones who have gone before us, who have died trusting in the Lord. But also more importantly, we shall be with him, with him who has washed away all of our sins, with him who has made us new, with him who has given us that dwelling place for all eternity. Amen. Invite the congregation to please rise. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.